Last year was a brutal one for stock portfolios, retirement accounts, and some local businesses. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. We've got business and technology reporter Mike Rogaway on the horn today to talk about last year, this year, and what to make of the economic climate in Oregon and beyond. Welcome back, Mike. Yeah, it's good to be here, Andrew. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. (laughs) So you took a look at last year and kind of what it meant for some Oregon businesses. What did you find? Well, of the publicly traded companies in Oregon and Southwest Washington, it it was a bad year, you know, probably verging on atrocious. Uh, (laughs) Now, companies across the the country had a bad year. The S&P 500, which is the broad market index we often look at to see how Wall Street is faring. It was down 19%. It was a tough year, Mm -hmm. uh, which wasn't shocking given there were two strong years in 2020 and 2021. And then the Fed's raising interest rates to to curb inflation. And of course, that brings stocks down. But it was particularly bad. Among the the region's most prominent and, and most valuable companies, there's about two dozen on our list, only two finished ahead for the year. And and two-thirds underperformed the S&P 500 and, and some way underperformed it. And it, it's to a degree, you know, stock price is a measure of company's performance, but it's mm-hmm. also a, and it, a measure of the company's future prospects. It, it reflects what investors think, and, and it has a very real effect in that if companies want to raise more money, a depressed stock price makes that harder uh, and sometimes impossible. Okay. So it's not just the uh, long-term outlook, it's the short-term outlook as well. Yeah, it's, 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 it's where things are at now. It's where people see things going down the road. And, you know, it's, it's, it's both a scorecard and a, um, a, a real s- sense of how the business performs and what its options are going forward. Okay. Well, uh, you recently took a deeper dive into kind of the, the how and why some of the startup companies or companies that, you know, got all gussied up to join the stock market, put on their finest suits and, um, you know, had their symbols on the, on the ticker. And it was pretty disastrous for some of those companies who fared the worst. The worst were, were maybe five companies stand out, uh, Arkimoto, Laird Superfood, Vicasa, Expensify, and ESS Tech. And what they were all down more than 75%. And one thing that stands out about all of them is, is they all went public in the past few years. Oregon really didn't have any large uh, public stock debuts from 2004 or so until just the last couple of years. And we had several come out and, you know, one or two fared pretty well, like Dutch Bros uh, has held up mm-hmm. pretty well uh, after its strong debut in 2021. But a lot of the smaller companies have not. Um, I, you know, I might go through a few of them if that's all yeah, right. Andrew. Yeah, exactly. Arkimoto is the one that let, let's start with them because this is uh, kind of the quirky electric vehicle company with the um, you know owner or founder with a, a famous name in Oregon history, but it's been a rough ride. Yeah. So Arkimoto makes these, as you say, quirky electric vehicles. They call them fun utility vehicles or FUVs. <laughs> Uh, they're three-wheel electric motorcycles. They, they've got a roof on them, uh, and they're sort of semi-enclosed, about twenty thousand bucks a piece. And and when they went public, there was 
enormous enthusiasm for electric vehicles and it, they became kind of a meme stock. You know, people were talking them up online and message board threads and the company, you know, they're based down in Eugene was worth more than a billion dollars in 2021. Mm-hmm. Well, it's lost almost all that value. It's now worth about $10 million. It's a, a it was down about 98% last year in, in terms of its stock price. And there's a, a, a few things that, that went wrong for them. They, they went public before they built out their, their market or their big factory in Eugene. Our, our colleague, Jamie Goldberg, wrote about them in 2021, so, some of the issues with going public when you're a, a young company. Uh, and it, it hasn't really paid off for them. There, there are also some fundamental operational and, and market problems. They haven't proven that there's a mass market for these vehicles. And when they were valued around a billion dollars, I think they were pitching the idea that this was an alternative kind of transportation. It might be that for, for everyone, but it might be that it's the, a three-wheel electric motorcycle is more of a niche. That maybe it's something people would rent when they're on vacation in a sunny place. Uh, to do a self-guided tour, maybe it would be good for getting around university campuses or something like that. But maybe it's not what people will drive. Most people will drive on the street. You do see them around town. There, are, there are some, but they don't sell a lot. You know, they're selling dozens, um, uh, a quarter, not thousands or tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you, you'd mentioned the the famous Oregon name. Uh, their founder and and CEO was Mark Fronmeyer who is the son of Dave Frohmeyer, former attorney general and University of Oregon president. Well, in August, Arkimoto suddenly replaced him, even though he's their largest shareholder and, and their, their founder. And they didn't explain why. Uh, but it didn't take us very long to figure out that he'd just been arrested for driving one of these FUVs while drunk. And he acknowledged then when we, we asked him about it, that, yeah, that's why they kicked him out. Yeah, uh, layoffs and furloughs followed, and the company continues to turn out vehicles, but its its future prospects are unclear. Uh, last fall, it said it was exploring strategic alternatives, which is what companies say. It's the euphemism they use when they're looking for somebody <laughs> to buy the business at right. a market value of ten million dollars. It wouldn't be it wouldn't cost somebody a lot <laughs> to buy it at this point, but the fact that they don't have a buyer yet uh, suggests that they may be in a fairly difficult position. Okay, so that's kind of this interesting company with, you know, various things going on both at the top as well as just market-wise what its what its um, use is. Um, what other companies uh, did pretty poorly last year? You mentioned a few of them, but any other ones that you want to talk about? Yeah, well, we we talked about Laird Superfood, which is a company most Oregonians might might not know, but some people may know the their founder Laird Hamilton, a, a popular surfing personality plant-based food company and sisters. And, you know, it, it became, it went public in 2020 and, and, you know, like other meme stocks, it, it, it developed a, a enthusiasm among investors and stock climbed as high as $60, but it didn't, it didn't get that same enthusiasm, uh, among, uh, <laughs> among customers. It, it's its sales are growing, but not fast enough to overcome its losses. Its losses are growing even faster. The stock that was above sixty, as we said, is now at eighty-eight. That's not good. Cents. And so its prospect, no, its its prospects are are bad, and it's, it's obviously been a terrible investment for people who invested in it. Um, one of the more intriguing companies 
uh, to fare poorly was Vacasa, which was down 85% last year. If you rented a vacation home in Sun River or on the coast uh, or up by Mount Hood recently, you might have gone through Vacasa. They both, Portland-based company that both manages and markets vacation homes. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a rapidly growing business. It's uh, They do more than a billion dollars a year in sales. It's in some ways the first big new company to emerge in Oregon in many, many years. But when they went public late in 2021, they used an, a novel approach that had kind of become a popular fad in 2020 and 2021. They, they went with a SPAC deal. It's merging with a publicly traded investment fund uh, and took over their, that investment fund stock listing. It became a popular way to go public without all the rigmarole and expense that usually comes with going public, but also means less investor scrutiny. And Sometimes that investor scrutiny is is useful. Vicasa uh, replaced CEO last year. A new CEO came in and, and said in November that the company has pretty severe operational hmm. problems. It's got cost overruns and poorly executed marketing plans. Uh, so even though sales are still growing, they're not growing nearly as fast as they were. Uh, and the bottom line, you know, the profitability situation is not what investors had been expecting. Uh, so, you know, their stock is down, you know, around a dollar and having lost 85% of its its value last year. Their new CEO says it may take considerable time for that company to get back on track, which is, is worrying for, you know, the first big new company to emerge in Oregon. If there's an upside, it's a real business that they have. And if they can get their operational issues in place, then there may be opportunities for them. They're, they're, not, they're not just a meme stock. They're a real business uh, but it will take some some time, evidently, to get things going. Yeah. So, what are the consequences of these poorly performing stocks? Um, you know, for for the employees, I guess. Obviously, profitability is a big driver for these companies. Um, that's you know, they they need to. They're not nonprofits. They want to make money. But what's that mean for the workforce? Well, oftentimes you'll have young companies compensating their employees in stock. Mm. So the value of your your compensation, particularly with young companies, that's the way they do it. The value of your compensation has declined considerably. You may have thought you were making a lot of money uh, at a, a new company, but suddenly a big part of your compensation is worth less or maybe worthless. So that's very worrying. And then there's the real existential issue of whether these businesses continue. Arkimoto, of course, laid off and furloughed a bunch of people last year. Uh, Vicasa had a smaller number of layoffs, too. So it's a matter of whether or not you keep your jobs. And uh, ideally, what you'd have with young companies is, is a lot of growth opportunity. And that's not what they're delivering right now. Are there any common threads between these companies and in terms of why they're struggling or is it just kind of all, well all i, I think that the newly public aspect of it is really a, is really a big one I, I think you know with with robin hood and meme stocks and day traders there were people sometimes maybe saw more runway these companies themselves saw it mm-hmm. than than really existed uh it was kind of a mirage but if if we look at some of the bigger companies you know even even really well established businesses last year uh, you know, like Nike, uh, was down almost 30%. Uh, Dutch Bros, which had a great 2021, was down 44% or 45%. And what you're seeing there are kind of the effects of the broader economy. You know, take take Nike, um, 
the largest company based in Oregon. Uh, they struggled, well, their stock struggled um, because they had supply chain issues with um, closures in, in China. Mm-hmm. Well, the same kind of supply chain issues every industry is facing. And then investors were concerned about 2023, what the macro economy looks like, uh, whether there's going to be consumer demand for, for shoes, uh, for you know, what amount to luxury products that, that sometimes cost hundreds of dollars uh, going forward. The, the good news for Nike is that they, they issued a strong quarterly report in December and a, a good outlook for the rest of the year. Uh, their fiscal year is different from the calendar year, and investors were, were really in, enthused about that. So that paired a lot of their stock losses from, from 2022. Uh, they, they took a nice jump at the end of the year. Um, Dutch Bros, you know, is a newly public company that has held up pretty well. Uh, there was a lot of concern early in 2022 uh, about the effects of inflation on their business. Dairy is an important component of their business, and dairy prices have been high and sustained high. Their labor costs were rising. Gas prices. Uh, some of gas prices were pinching consumers, and was there going to be as much demand for you know really expensive energy drinks <laughs> at their at their drive-through kiosks? Those those concerns alleviated somewhat at toward the end of the year. They appear to have their business together, but it's not going to be in the short term, maybe quite as profitable as people hoped, even though Dutch Bros is maintaining the growth trajectory that they had outlined before. They're expanding in in California and particularly places like Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, South and Southeast that seem to be natural markets for their their suburban and and sort of exurban perhaps or quasi-rural markets. Okay. Well, that'll be something to track. Um, Maybe that's a good pivot point for we're now firmly in 2023 at this point. Um, what's the outlook look like here in Oregon and beyond? Or what are the business fundamentals you're tracking this year? Well, our, our colleague, Elliot News, our business editor, had a story over the, the holiday break when new census numbers came out, uh, showed Oregon's population growth was actually negative last year. And that followed a decade of really strong growth and particularly drawing you know, state economists were really excited uh, in the years after the Great Recession because Oregon was was drawing highly educated, relatively young migrants from other mm-hmm. parts of the country and sometimes from other parts of the world. Those are, are very important to the economy. They add skills, uh, they draw employers as well as employees, and they add to the state's tax base. Right. Well, if something has happened that um, now our, our population growth is negative, that's really concerning. We, we've had an issue like other states with an aging population uh, in the pandemic year for the first time in 2020, uh, deaths outnumbered births in mm-hmm. Oregon. So we're not having what the economists call natural population growth anymore. When we have a growing population, it's because people are moving from elsewhere. And economists like to see a growing population because that creates economic opportunity, more consumers and more producers. So if the population is, is shrinking, uh, if Oregon is no longer a draw from other states, then, then that's concerning. I think the economists aren't really sure yet what to make of those census numbers. Portland State has its own population estimates, mm-hmm. which show modest 
very modest, but population growth during 2022. So that's more encouraging. And it could be the pandemic either warped migration patterns or maybe warped census collection data. So the picture may not be quite as bad as it looks, but that's a big open question um, going forward. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've got to work it out. Oregon has some some real issues, a housing affordability crisis. It's still a nice place to live, but uh, if it's too expensive, then we won't be a draw. Yeah, the pandemic warped a lot of things and warped uh, some of our brains and yes. um, uh, obviously changed how we view downtown and um, in a lot of ways. Um, and that, that that's an important economic indicator for, for next year as well. As you know, everyone in the region knows the city has some severe livability problems. You know, we mentioned housing prices. A uh, related issue is homelessness. Uh, and there's also crime, vandalism, trash. You know, the, the murder rate has remained elevated throughout 2022. Yeah, uh, It's clear that the city now has identified those problems as something it needs to address. And, you know, the mayor and the city council have outlined plans to do them to address those issues. Uh, the question is whether the city will be effective in addressing them. Uh, to this point, clearly, in terms of violence, the city has not been effective. Uh, the murder rate remained high in 2022 after the big spike late in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. So that's, that's a big question. And, and we've talked a lot about downtown. Um, you know, every indicator we've seen has shown only modest recovery. Now I'll, I'll add a caveat to that. Something I've been thinking about recently, Andrew, is, you know, we, we compare us to, to other cities with kind of depressed downtowns and, and we, our recovery has been slower than elsewhere. But I will say downtown isn't deserted like it is in the New York Times, for example, had a, uh, a recent article about San Francisco's deserted financial district. Portland's downtown is more integrated with the lives of the community than in other cities. You know, we have the, the big theaters are downtown. Mm -hmm. uh, the big uh, sports venues are either downtown or right adjacent to downtown. We have a, a waterfront that's still a popular destination and we have a, a big university that's downtown. So uh, even though, you know, office work is way downtown, it's, it's not like a ghost town down here at all. I'm, I'm downtown today and, and I am most days. It's not like it's, it's empty, but it, has, it hasn't picked up uh, from the pandemic the way other cities have, which is, is definitely very concerning. So I, I don't mean to say, you know, that downtown isn't facing major issues. It obviously is. I just want to put it in some context. No, I appreciate that. Um, and uh, I guess time will tell, you know, the city of Portland is um, requiring its workers to spend a certain amount of days uh, in person in the office. Um, and that starts in the spring, I believe. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out and whether other private uh, employees, whether other private employers follow suit. Yeah, that's been a real tug of war. Um, we had a, a syndicated column from Bloomberg in our paper about that issue. With the labor shortage being tight, with the labor shortage continuing, labor market being tight, employees still have a lot of leverage. And uh, if they don't want to come into work, <laughs> employers are hard pressed to say, well, we'll fire you if you don't. Well, okay, but who are you going to replace us with? And and workers have plenty of other options, uh, many of whom are, are flexible. I, I think that's what everyone, that's where we're settling out is, 
is a degree of flexibility, a degree of hybrid work is, is what's coming. Um, and it may mean that downtown is, is never quite what it was in terms of office work. There may be ways to address that, uh, make other things attractive downtown. Well, before I let you go, obviously the legislature will be convening here down in Salem, um, you know, not too far from now, not too long from now. Uh, we've got a new governor, you've got a new legislature uh, in terms of the makeup in the chambers, new members, um, new leaders. Uh, what are you tracking on that front in terms of business-related issues? Well, as you know, Andrew, my, my main focus is is technology reporting. And we have a really interesting sort of tug of war uh, there. The, the legislature will be looking uh, with a session that begins this month uh, at creating more incentives and, and direct funding for the semiconductor industry. Um, they're trying to capitalize on the $52 billion in federal CHIPS Act money that uh, Congress approved last summer. Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be the Commerce Department's going to start doling out that money perhaps as soon as February, but certainly by spring. Uh, and the Oregon badly wants a share of that. Uh, semiconductors are one of Oregon's major industries and about half of our exports. And so uh, the state badly wants in on that. To do that, it probably, the, the goal will be to create tax incentives for R&D, to create incentives for creating and allocating industrial land, uh, workforce development, and streamlining and environmental permitting. There'll be a lot of tension around some of those issues. And at the same time, it'll be considering that the legislature is facing a renewal of one of the state's major tax break programs, the Enterprise Zone Program, which is primarily used by data centers uh, <laughs> yeah. for big tax breaks in rural Oregon. Oregon's unusual in that it allows small communities or any community to give unlimited tax breaks. And as a result, Amazon, Google, Apple, and Facebook get the lion's share of this program, you know, uh, tens of millions of dollars a year cumulatively. And the legislature is looking at whether the size of those tax breaks is whether those data centers would be here uh, without tax breaks of that scale. And so on what I'm what I'm saying is on the semiconductor side, the state is looking at bigger incentives. Mm -hmm. On the data center side, the state is looking at perhaps smaller incentives. So it'll be very interesting to track how how that evolves during this session. Yes, it will. And we will make sure that people know how to find your stuff. And uh, thanks, as always, for coming on the show. Thank you for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Like I said, I'll share links to Mike's stories on uh, stock performances, data centers, and enterprise zones, Intel, all of his work. You can find it at OregonLive.com slash business. If you like this show, please give us a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast. That's how people find it. And tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to talk about podcasts. We've been doing this since 2019, and uh, we'd love to keep growing it in 2023. The best way to support our journalism and work like Mike's is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod supports. Until next time. <laughs>